I think I told the church uh, this story uh, about my life once before, but I'm going to tell it again this morning. When I was about 10, after my mother had passed away when I was nine, my father hired a housekeeper to come and live in our home for a couple of years uh, before he ended up getting married. And this lady was uh, as problem-filled in her life as my father was problem-filled in his own. And so there were times when she was involved with behaviors that were not uh, the best for children that were being raised in this home where she was living. And so I remember one night, I don't know where my dad was, but I remember that my two sisters and I were with this lady. Her name was Dorothy. And uh, Dorothy took us over to a friend of hers. And uh, we were there, it was, you know, it was a Friday night or something or whatever it was. And we spent the evening at this house with this fellow. So Dorothy and this fellow were there and, uh, you know, I think we had supper with him or something. I don't remember. But as the evening wore on, Dorothy and this guy, I have no idea who he was, uh, started drinking. So that by the time the evening was well along, Dorothy and this fellow were both pretty much hammered. And then there became a point in time when it was time for us to drive home. And she was really drunk. And so we went and we got in her 1963 uh, Chevy Bel Air station wagon. It was white with red seats. And she proceeded to drive us home, except that she was absolutely in no condition to drive. And so I can remember very clearly being on the S-curves on Queen Avenue, at Queen Avenue in Albany, Oregon, and the, those S-curves were quite prominent. Everybody in town knew where those were. And I, if I was to go there today, I hope they've straightened them out. I don't know. But she couldn't make the curve because she was too drunk. And so she crossed the center line, and she just about had a head-on collision with a police car that was coming the other direction with the three of us in this car with her. Well, the cop turned around. We were probably two miles or so from my house. The cop turned around, he and his buddy, and they stopped her. And and the most amazing thing about the story is this. They, one of the cops got in the car with us and drove us home and she got, you know, they took us in the house and they left. And she was never charged, as far as I know, I don't think there were any repercussions at all on her for that. Now, can you imagine what would have happened had that been today? Like today, not only would they have done something to her, legal ramifications, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if my sisters and I would have been taken away from my father. That wouldn't surprise me. Now, I've told you another time when... At least I think I have. When my father was in a similar circumstance, and uh, I told this story fairly recently, I think the story about him falling down the stairs, and he, I, I was I was at a uh, a boxing practice. I used to box when I was a kid, and so I was at this boxing workout. And my dad came up to the boxing workout, which he had to come up some stairs in order. It's kind of a loft up above this gym, and so he came up there. And he was there for 10 or 15 minutes. And I was so embarrassed because he was so drunk that I left. Like I couldn't handle it. You know, I was, at the time I was 13 or 14. And 
I mean, it was just his behavior was despicable. And so I couldn't take it any longer, and I left and went, you know, left the boxing area and went down into the gym and then the rest of the building and stuff. And I was kind of wandering around thinking, I can't believe, you know, that this is happening to me. Well, then I, I happened to wander by the door that went into the gym, and the stairwell that I'm talking about was at the end of the gym. And so when I walked by the doorway and looked into the gym, I could see a bunch of people gathered at the end of the gym down at the bottom of the stairs. I knew exactly what had happened because there's no way my dad was going to make it down those stairs. And so when I walked across the gym and to the open door going up into the stairwell, here's my dad and four or five or six people huddled around him, and he's on the ground laying on his back trying to get up, and they're trying to convince him not to get up because he's got blood coming down out of this big gash on his forehead. He's got blood all over his face, and the boxing coach who tried to stop him, like he told me later, he said, I saw him going for the stairs, and I knew he wasn't going to make it, and I tried to stop him, but I just couldn't quite get there, and so dad just tumbled down these 15 stairs or whatever it was. And there was no padding on them or anything. They were just wooden stairs. So you know, at some point, he, you know, he bashed up his head. And the boxing coach, like it was in the middle of winter, there was ice. You know, it was one of those times it wasn't snow. It was ice on everything. There was a quarter of an inch, three-eighths of an inch of ice covering everything. All the tree limbs had ice around them. We used to call it a silver thaw. Anyway, the boxing coach couldn't convince my dad that he needed to go to the hospital. And so he put a Band-Aid on his head or whatever it was. And Dad drove us home, myself and another friend of mine. He drove us home. He actually did quite well. I guess he was so experienced at driving drunk that he could do it. And so he drove us home. Well, if he would have been stopped nowadays, it would have been huge problems. But he did that quite frequently. Well, I don't know all the differences that have taken place between then and now in terms of the changes that would happen with somebody who was caught driving in those conditions and had little kids in the car with them the way that Dorothy did. But one thing that has happened is huge is that there is an organization that has been developed over the last several years in response to just that kind of situation and once in which people have been in accidents and children have been killed. And if I say the word mad... You all know exactly what I'm talking about, and you know how to spell it, because it's not spelled M-A-D, is it? How's it spelled? Everybody knows. And, And why is it that it's spelled that way? Because it stands for something. What does it stand for? Of course. And we all know that. Things have changed. And the fact is, is that the mothers against drunk driving have had a huge impact in North America and around the world in the way that drunken driving is viewed. It is no longer viewed as just a funny story that you tell the boys on Monday morning and everybody laughs and then goes back to work. It's not viewed that way any longer. These days, people hear about a drunk who put other lives in jeopardy and their perception of that has changed. How did that happen? That happened because some woman decided that she had had it up to here. That enough was enough and she was going to change things. And she did. Things are changed. Now, if I was to say to you the letters A-A, And put those together. Every one of you knows exactly what I mean when I say AA. 
There's not a doubt in anyone's mind. You all know that that stands for? Of course. And there has been a huge change in the way in which drunkenness is perceived, at least by some of society, because of some of the things that have to go with AA. And the possibility of people getting out of that condition and the changes taking place in their life, a lot of that has been changed because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Somebody somewhere said, you know what? It is a tragedy that men and women drink so much that their lives are ruined by alcohol. And so after three millennia of people participating in behavior without really knowing how they might get out of that, something like AA is formed. And it, in fact, was a Christian preacher who decided that he'd had enough with the abuses of alcohol and the way that it was degrading his society, and he chose to start an organization like AA. Now, if I was to say to you, or if I was to draw this picture for you, and I said, standing outside a store on December 20th, there is a red bucket on a stand. And there's a man standing there with a bell. And he's ringing that bell as he stands next to that red bucket on a stand. If I describe that picture for you, Every one of you probably knows exactly that to which I refer. What is it that I'm talking about when I talk about a guy standing outside a store on December 20th ringing a bell next to a bucket on a stand that is red? What is it? Of course. We all know that Salvation Army. And that's because William Booth decided that he was going to not just found a Christian denomination, but that they were going to participate in benevolent activities at the same time, and they were going to make an impact on their society. And indeed, they have. And so here in Calgary, we know that there's a huge Salvation Army Center, and that they minister to all kinds of homeless people and people in need. There's a lot of good things that go on with Sally Ann. They do a great job in many, many respects. Well, what's happened in each of those cases is that somebody somewhere decided that there was a cause that needed some attention. There was somebody who needed to take up this cause and direct their efforts toward that and that good things could happen because of their efforts. And so it starts in just one mind, one idea who says, I could do something good and out of it comes a world-changing event. Something huge takes place because someone decided to do something and to get involved. Well, I have incredible news for us this morning. This is great news in which we can all be involved. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. And I want you to look at the Great Commission. It's not the only passage we'll look at in the next few minutes, but it's one of them. I want you to look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse, we can start with verse 16. Right at the end of the book. So if you found Matthew, you're in good shape. Go right to the end. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And at this point, if we just stop right there, we say, wow, what a great honor, what a task has been given for, to us. Somebody had an idea. In this case, it happened to be God who had an idea. And his idea was that he loved humankind so much that he would send his son to die for humankind and then he would give to his followers the mission of taking this great news about the gospel to the rest of the world. And through that, indeed, the world has been changed. And through through this one person, Jesus Christ, surely the most influential person in the history of humankind... Through this one person, the world has been completely changed. Like, have you ever thought about where we would be if it wasn't for Jesus? And I don't mean, where would you be in your personal sins? And I don't mean, would you be here on Sunday morning or not? Or would you be home? I mean, where would the world be without Jesus? Where would we be? Would we still have uh, the Romans taking over everything and crucifying people when they wanted to. Well, maybe. Would we have the kind of freedoms that we have in North America? Would we have such a thing as, as, uh, as free rights if we didn't have Jesus? I, I'm not sure that we would. What Would MAD or AA or any of the good things that go on in our society ever go on if it wasn't for Jesus? I'm not sure that they would. The, the blackness, the darkness that would be present in society if, he, if it wasn't for the presence of Christ, like I just, I can't even imagine it. Because we don't know what it would be like to live in a world without Jesus, I can't really imagine how bad it would be. But I think it would be bad. I don't think it'd be good at all. The wonderful freedoms and blessings and advantages that we enjoy in North America would not be ours. I'm convinced if there wasn't Jesus... And so I'm so grateful that God had in his mind that he would send his son to die on our behalf and that we would be able to live for him. And then he gives us this task of carrying out for him the role of communicating to the world about Christ. And then look at this line at the end of verse 20, which is so important. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only did Christ give to us a responsibility this wonderful task and blessing of being able to change the world with the gospel, but he says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to be right there. And every time you think there's a, 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 an advantage at that moment to sharing the gospel, I'm right there with you. And when you see a life that needs to be turned around, real change needs to take place, and you know it's the gospel through which that life will be changed, I'm right there with you. And so he says he is with us as we go into the world with the gospel. Well, I, you know, things come to mind like, well, what in the world could stop us then? Like, why is it that we wouldn't then have the opportunity to do incredible things in our world if Jesus is right there with this great news about the gospel and what it is that he's done? All of that is so wonderful and so beautiful. What could possibly stop us? It's just incredible the chance we have to change the world. Even more than, than MAD. More than AA. 
more than the Salvation Army, we have the chance to change the world because of the gospel. It's a beautiful, beautiful blessing, an opportunity that, of course, we need to seize because God is right there with us in the possibility of changing the world through the gospel. Now, that is so good. That is so wonderful. I want you to see something else. Look back a few chapters to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, there's a discussion going on. People are wondering exactly who Jesus is. The disciples are with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. uh, At the end of verse 13, it says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. It's an incredible statement on the part of Peter that he would understand with so much clarity at this moment when he's at other times so befuddled. So much clarity at this moment who Jesus is. And he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And look at this line. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Or, as we've heard so often, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you've probably heard preachers say, and these preachers who say this are right, that this is a positive image. This is the church on the offense, not the defense. This is the church attacking the gates of hell. This is the church entering into Satan's realm and destroying it. You know that that image in Lord of the Rings in the last movie where the, the gates are there and the army comes and they stand before the gates and meanwhile Frodo and Sam are on the other side of the gates headed for the mountain. Remember that? Well, this is not that image. Okay? Because those people didn't have a chance in one sense. We have not just a chance. We have the Lord of the universe that is with us as we attack the gates of Hades. And if I was to say to you, what will prevent us? What will stop us? Will those gates prevent us from getting the job done? No way! There is no chance that Satan has at all. He's already been defeated by the cross. The cross has already put to death everything that Satan would ever throw at us. The spirit alive within us has already conquered something. It's conquered death, and we have absolutely every opportunity to be triumphant. There's nothing that can stand our way. Those gates can't stop us. And so when Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel... There's nothing to stop us, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing to hinder or prevent the gospel from going out and having the kind of impact in our world that it can have. Not even the gates of Satan himself, erected intentionally to stop the gospel, can stop the power of the gospel from going into the world and making the transformation in people's lives that it can make. We see what happens with something like MAD, where an entire mindset of the culture is changed about drunken driving. 
And the gospel goes out and changes the world with the power of Christ that stands behind it. And I'll show you one other passage. Oh, I've saved the best in many ways for last. This is so beautiful, it will probably make me cry. But I will try and hold back. Go to Zechariah of all places. Chapter 8. Zechariah? Is he kidding? Is that in the Bible? It is. It's on page 1415 in my Bible. It's here. Somebody who's already there, what page is it in your Bible? In the Pew Bible if you have one of those. 671. Zechariah chapter 8. Oh, this is beautiful stuff. Notice in the NIV, at the head of chapter 8, it says, the Lord promises to bless Jerusalem. Okay, So that's wonderful in itself. God is showering down blessings. And I want you to look at verse, uh, where should we start here? Look at verse 14. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 14. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Now what had happened was Jerusalem and Judah had done a lousy job of being God's people and he had decided to destroy them. He does so with two armies, one in 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in to destroy the northern kingdom, and then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians come in and, and they destroy the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom and southern kingdoms of Israel have been destroyed, and they've been destroyed by, with a sense in, with God's hand because they had continued to sin against him. But there's going to be some hope here. So he says, now, just as I've done that to them, I'm going to do good to you. So don't be afraid at the end of verse 15. Verse 16 says, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgments in your courts. Do not plan evil against your, plan evil, uh, against your neighbor and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. So he says, get your lives together. Behave the way you should. Treat one another well. Verse 18, again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So he is creating here among the people a wonderful attitude. He says, I want you to get your lives together. I want you to have this sense of truth and peace about you. Uh, Festivals are going to take place. There's going to be joy. This is going to be a good time for you, Judah and Israel. A good time. Be prepared for this. God is going to bless you. And then he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 20. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And so you get the picture here. 
people from all over the world, from various cities, various countries, coming to meet with God's people, coming to share with them in what it is that God is giving them. So God says, I'm going to shower down blessings on you. I'm going to bring joy into your lives. You're going to have celebrations again. You're going to have feasts. I want you to participate in all of this. This is good stuff, good times. God is giving them to you. And then it says, and the people from the world... The inhabitants of many places are going to come and they're going to join with you in this celebration together with God. Now look at this. Let, again in verse 21. Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. That's what the peoples are saying. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him. Verse 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days... This is the part that gets me every time. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. Let us go with you, Jews. You're going up to Zion. We want to go with you. Why? Because we have heard that God is with you. God is with you. Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises us. And this text says that many nations will come. The inhabitants of many cities, they will come. And they will say, I want to go up with you. I want to go meet your God. I want to go see him. I want to go with you. And the reason why is because, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. And as he stands with us, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And so as we enter in to 2009 and ask the question, what are things going to be like for us? Do we have the chance, the capacity to see things changed? Can we have an impact in our world? Can this little group of people, without advantageous armaments, it would say in the Old Testament, not that many chariots, not that many horses, not that many armaments, we, as an army, go into war without not much. Without not much? Without much! And as we go, apparently having not much potential, we have all the potential. We have everything on our side. Absolutely everything, including the God who created the universe, who stands with us and says, I am with you always. Nothing can stand in your way. Satan and his gates can't stand in your way. I am with you always. And, and the Bible says that the people will say, we want to come with you to meet your God. So can 2009 be a great year for this church? What could possibly stand in our way? What is it over which our God working within us can't 
triumph over. There is nothing, brothers and sisters, nothing that will keep us from being the Lord's people. For God is with us. Let's pray. God, these are exciting times. These are exciting times as we think about what it means to be your people with you standing in our midst, fighting on our behalf. Father, there are a whole lot more drunks in our world that need to be transformed than just those that have been transformed by AA thus far. There are a lot more social changes that need to take place than just mad stopping some people from driving drunk and changing the mindset of our culture with reference to that. Father, there's more good that needs to be done than just the than what's done when the Salvation Army does good works around Christmas time especially. And Lord, we want you to challenge us with the opportunities to do good things in our world. Open our hearts and open our eyes to see what we can accomplish through you. And Father, work among us like you've never worked before. Make us available to you. Make us active for you. Make us have vision about what can get accomplished in your name. And Father, help us to burst through the gates of Hades. To rend them asunder, to destroy them as you work with us in our world. Lord, we live in a community that badly needs you. There are people around us everywhere who are caught up in all kinds of addictions. There are people around us who are caught up everywhere in gangs, in illegal behavior. There are house after house after house of children who live in homes where parents are not being responsible. And they grew up in a culture, God, where irresponsibility is just the name of the game. And changes need to come. And Father, we believe that it's through your gospel that those changes need to come. We believe that we need to work your seeds to be your light and your salt in our culture to change it. And we pray that you'd work among us. Father, we pray that our response to you and to the gospel would be one with some confidence and strength and hopefulness and power. Help us not to stand idly by with a building sitting on a corner somewhere in a community, but instead to be a mobilized army that goes forth for you into this place with the gospel at hand, changing lives. Father, we know this can happen. We've seen it happen. We can see it in the Bible. We pray that you'd make it happen again with us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.